Welcome to Giraffe Tango Octopus, Freedom for Humans with Kirsten Johansson. Kirsten and her guests are here to help you stop struggling with your own self-acceptance and teach you how to love yourself unconditionally. Now, here's Kirsten. Welcome to GTO, Freedom for Humans, where we talk about the ways in which we as humans can free ourselves from suffering by practicing unconditional love, acceptance, and compassion for ourselves. I'm Kirsten Johansson, your host. Um, so today we're going to talk about freedom for empaths. And, you know, I was thinking about this topic and was cooking up, I uh, wasn't sure what I was cooking up, but I knew that I wanted to address this. And I shared an article uh, last week that I wrote for Brains Magazine, and it was on releasing resentments. And one of my uh, former colleagues, Amy, chimed in and thanked me for the article and said, you know, um, it's not so much that I have trouble with holding on to resentments, but like, what do I do with my empathy <laughs> when, when I see what someone else is going through and I'm kind of holding all of that in my own body and my own emotions, what do I do with that? And, um, as an empath myself, it's something that I manage all the time, uh, which was why I was thinking about cooking up this topic for you. So, uh, thanks to Amy, who uh, gave me a little nudge there. So ultimately, what I thought I would do today is to, I'm going to quickly run through what an empath is, and then I'll give you the reference for reading more about that um, from somebody who's an expert in that area. And then what I decided to do is to take you through the Freedom Project, basically. So I wrote this program, the Freedom Series, and it has some um, some clear areas of work and milestones. And I decided to apply the experience of an empath um, and what it might look like to run through that program and how being an empath might show up in these different areas of life and how that intersects with developing self-love and self-acceptance because it is very uh, closely tied. So I'm going to jump right in and on uh, living as an empath and a, a self-accepting empath. Okay, so Judith Orloff, MD, who is the author of The Empath's Guide to Survival, um, she gives a number of qualities that are typical to empaths and then um, gives some information about how those show up as well as some tools um, to manage them. So um, again, I have not read that book yet, but um, Judith Orloff, MD, does seem to be uh, very much an expert in the field of um, being an empath and how to survive it. So here are some qualities that an empath might have just to help you to identify if, if you think you're one and you're not sure, or you think you might be in a close relationship with an empath and you're not sure you might recognize some of these qualities. Empaths are highly sensitive. We absorb other people's emotions. So that, that's one of the key components of what we're going to talk about today. Empaths absorb other people's emotions, which means we don't just observe them. We're not just aware of them. We don't just understand them. We actually absorb them, um, which is, um, as with most things, there is an upside and a downside, um, right? Or at least some upsides and some downsides. And that's one of them because that's an amazing quality to have. And it can be incredibly useful in terms of connecting and supporting other people. And it can be incredibly exhausting for the empath if you don't know how to manage it. Many empaths are introverted. 
Um, that would also be me. So in terms of introversion, just think about it in terms of where your energy is, is restored. Um, extroverts typically gain energy from being around other people. Introverts typically gain energy from being alone. So empaths are typically uh, introverted. Um, we are highly intuitive and ultimately we're absorbing not just other people's emotions, but we tend to absorb all kinds of energies and stimuli that are going on around us, um, which can make it difficult to be in crowds or in places that there is a ton of stimulation for extended periods of time because we become exhausted. Uh, the next one is uh, directly tied to that empaths need alone time um, for the reasons that I that I just mentioned. Empaths can be uh, overwhelmed in intimate relationships and that makes sense because if we are absorbing other people's emotions, we can tend to get lost in a relationship and lose sight of where we end and the other person begins, um, which is really about, uh, we are going to talk about boundaries uh, on this episode. So um, that is where a need for boundaries uh, is, is important and comes in. Um, empaths are targets for energy vampires. So you can think about it in terms of two puzzle pieces. If an empath is somebody who absorbs other people's emotions and puts a lot of energy toward supporting, helping, understanding, it actually feels almost like it's you, even though it's the other person, you can imagine that someone who, um, whatever their, you know, whatever their motivations are, whatever their own wounds are, um, that they actually are taking energy from other people. So um, it does create a balance, an empath and an energy vampire, but it's not a healthy balance. There's lots of different kinds of balance, right? And so even though those personality styles can be complementary in a way, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're helpful or supportive for both people. Empaths become replenished in nature, particularly around green, wild things and water. Interesting that that is what I gravitate toward. And that is primarily um, what is going on in the two places in which I live. There's green and ocean here in Lincoln City, Oregon, and not so much green in Malta, but lots of beautiful blue sky and beautiful blue ocean. And empaths have highly tuned senses. So again, um, it's what I call a high vibrator. So you might be a high vibrator, in which case lots gets in, lots of what's going around on around you, even the emotions of strangers when you're around them can actually, um, you can be tuned to those and, and take those on. And then lastly, empaths have huge hearts, but sometimes give too much, right? Um, for all the reasons that we kind of talked about in terms of um, absorbing other people's emotions and being intuitive and getting overwhelmed in intimate relationships and being targets for energy vampires um, and having highly tuned senses, right? So we can tend to get involved in or want to be helpful um, in too many things because we see them and feel them and sense them. Okay. So that's, um, those are the qualities of an empath. There are more, but those are the top 10. And so now I'm going to run you through um, what a freedom project might look like for an empath. So in terms of establishing a freedom project, um, the goal is not to change yourself into something else. As with most qualities, there are upsides and downsides and being an empath is no exception. 
Uh, there are a lot of upsides and empaths are needed in this world. It's an essential way of connecting to other beings, human and otherwise. Uh, many of us, um, I think, at least in my, in my case, I absorb not just human energy, but um, animal energy and sometimes just other living thing energy, if that makes sense. Um, so in terms of connecting as an empath, it's a shorthand where, you know, detailed explanations and analytical methods of connecting aren't needed as much because we can actually sense and experience someone's energy um, in our minds and in our emotions and our bodies. So one of the thing that's one of the things that is important is a process to understand your empathy and to be able to see and feel how it's playing out. So for instance, you want to notice it's happening. The same thing we do with our thoughts. We notice our thoughts, but we don't necessarily have to believe our thoughts. So we notice it's happening. And then we check in with ourselves about what might be needed um, or what might be being neglected in favor of the empathy that we're experiencing for the other person. And then we do the thing that is probably one of the most difficult things for an empath, which is to give ourselves the attention and care that we need right then. So we notice that we're having an empathic reaction or response. And then we immediately need to pause and check in with ourselves and say, hmm, like what's going on? What am I feeling? What do I need? And balance our energy so that it's not all going towards someone else's experience because guess what? I have absolutely no control over. Well, most things, right? But what I really have no control over is someone else and their experience. And whatever it is they're going through is not actually happening to me. I know it feels like it's happening to you. If you're an empath, it truly does. It gets inside of you in your body and it feels like it's happening to you. Remind yourself that it is not happening to you. And then when you're shored up, is there anything that you can do to be of help to that other person? That is completely um, normal and fine to ask yourself. But notice, I'm suggesting that you not ask yourself that first, that when you notice you're having an empathic response to something that someone else is going through, that you don't immediately ask, what can I do for you? That you take care of yourself first. And then when you feel shored up, filled up, like you have energy to give then you ask, what can I do um, to be of support to this other person? And what you do should be informed by them, not by what you think they need or what you think they should want, but by what they actually tell you, um, which they might, which might, they might say nothing in which case, okay, you're going to need to probably practice stepping back in that case. Um, so be careful of trying to fix or rescue people. Um, you will often be spending and not earning when you do that. And you may be preventing the other person from building their own skills and confidence, right? So we need to allow other people to do their own work. And sometimes an empath can step in and inadvertently keep that from happening. And then lastly, as you are, you know, identifying that this is going to be a project for you. So when I say identify that it's a project, what we're doing is we're putting a stake in the ground and we're saying, I'm going to work on this because I know that it causes me some suffering and um, it creates situations in my life that are challenging and, and in a way that really could be, could be prevented. Like I could live a freer, 
more peaceful, happier life if I were to address these things. So I'm going to put a stake in the ground and say, this is my project. And I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to work on this, um, except that things most of the time, maybe not all the time, but most of the time they're going to have to be left open-ended and without resolution. Um, we want resolution, particularly an empath wants resolution. And it's, it's because in my, in my experience, we mistakenly believe that it will release us from carrying this energy that is holding us down and draining us and feels so heavy and worrisome. And we just think, well, if we could figure out the solution to this and get this resolved, then ooh, what a relief I can then move on. But pushing for that can be false, right? To pushing for a resolution or a solution to something where there isn't one, it's not, we're not ready yet. Some situations need to be allowed to play out and allowed to breathe and allowed to um, happen as they are meant to happen and not pushed into a box and locked away as completed. Um, so know when to leave something be, when to step away. Um, and that it is your empathy that needs to be managed, not a specific outcome. So it is uncomfortable. Of course, it's uncomfortable um, to have something left undone and particularly something that's emotional and particularly something that is causing someone to suffer. And maybe it's someone that you love and that you're close to and that you interact with day to day and having to accept that while you can offer support, that there might not be much that you can do to push through to a solution is a wonderful thing to practice because truly that is life is filled with those things um, that we sometimes try to push through um, and tie up and, and into a kind of a, a nice package. And um, they're, they're really still happening, whether we try to tie them into a package or not. Now, part of this project is to name your true North. Um, a true North is an anchor, a guiding principle, a home base, um, and you might ask yourself, what would it feel like to be free? Like, what would freedom feel like to me? And that might lead you to your true north. So for instance, when you find yourself focusing on someone else in a way that fills your body and your mind, um, with, with uncomfortable energy, um, disrupt this with your true north to create space for a conversation. Um, my true north in this instance, um, in, in speaking purely about how I manage my empathy, I have a variety of true norths that I've shared with you, but this one is center yourself. And when I say center yourself, I don't, so it could, you could hear that in, in a couple of ways, like getting centered, like sometimes people will adjust their bodies and, and breathe. And those things are wonderful because they're literally centering themselves um, for a situation. That's not actually what I'm talking about. I am talking about putting myself at the center of whatever it is that I'm working through, whatever I'm thinking through, whatever action I'm pondering, um, whatever I have going on in my body that is creating discomfort. I'm suggesting that you put yourself at the center and then you have a conversation. And ask yourself some questions. What are you doing? What What are you doing uh, right now? And use compassionate honesty to tell yourself the truth about what you're doing. So for instance, what are you doing? 
maybe the answer is I'm sitting on the sofa worrying about this situation that is going on with this other person. And I'm trying to figure out solutions for them. Maybe that's the compassionate truth about what you're doing. And then ask yourself a few other questions. Why are you spending in this area? To what end? Is it helping or harming you? And notice that I'm asking, is it helping or harming you? I'm not actually asking any questions about, in this case, the other person. I'm only asking questions about you. And so that is what I mean by centering yourself. And then one of the other questions you might ask is, what do I need right now? What do I need right now? Because sometimes when we are spinning in someone else's stuff, not only is it a facet of being an empath, but it can also be a facet of perhaps um, unknowingly avoiding something that's actually going on with you, some discomfort or some suffering that has arisen potentially as the result of you know your interactions uh, with this other person or seeing somebody go through something difficult. And it might actually be, uh, I'm going to venture a guess that it is, that it's you that needs the attention and the support um, first. Not that you can't support the other person, but let's take care of ourselves first. So that's your project in your true north. And then um, we want to differentiate between your true self and your image. So in terms of asking questions, what part of your image is tied to being an empath? And what happens if you stop some of the associated behaviors? Generally speaking, what are you afraid of? So let's say that accommodating other people's needs and desires and putting yours either second or last, or maybe you don't even get to yours, is one of the things that you routinely do. Let's also imagine that focusing on trying to help somebody else through their difficult emotions and ignoring or even being unaware of an entire flood of difficult emotions that you have might be something that you experience so much so that you come away from the interaction. And if you're going to tell someone else about it, let's say you, you tell a, a trusted, you know, confidant that you have in your life that supports you. And you tell them all about this, all the you know, difficult things is that this other person is going through, it might not occur to you unless your person asks you to talk about how you felt, because I guarantee you probably have some emotions. That's, that is the nature of empathy. Um, perhaps trying to explain or understand a person's behavior in, instead of simply taking it in and using the information to set a boundary that protects you instead of focusing on what the other person needs. That is in some ways, if you are an empath who hasn't done a lot of this work yet, it's going to sound probably quite foreign, right? Because we don't have to understand or explain another person's behavior. And if it is impacting us um, in a way that is not helpful and not supportive for us, we have to set a boundary that protects us. And then after we've set that boundary, it's still possible that we could offer support or friendship or a listening ear or something else 
um, to that other person if we have it to give. Um, so in terms of image and in terms of where the fear might arise, are you afraid of being perceived as less helpful, less nice, less valuable? If people aren't coming to you for support, will they still want to be around you? And what happens when you say no? What happens when you no longer expend energy to solve other people's problems, but rather support them in solving their own? I don't know. I don't know the answer to those questions. Typically, though, those are the things that are going to maybe fuel a certain fear or anxiety or trepidation and might keep a person, um, the discomfort of that might keep a person from moving forward with trying something new. But I'm going to suggest that you give it a try because we don't know, right? We don't know until we actually do something, what the outcome is going to be. And, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here speaking to you as someone who has been trying all new things for the last several years. And I've let go of even thinking I know, know or can even um, predict what an outcome will be. But I, but I will say that I never cease to be surprised about where things go. Um, and I'm really enjoying that. I'm enjoying uh, the unknown very much. I'm enjoying not knowing. So as somebody who's spending most of their time in that, if it's, um, if it sounds anxiety producing and like somewhere that you might want to try, but you're a little, you're uh, a, a little, you have some trepidation, give it a try, uh, truly, because it's, it's a more honest representation of true life, right? What we think we know, what we think we have planned, what we, what we think is going to be an outcome. Maybe, maybe that comes uh, into fruition and uh, often it does not. Okay, so I'm going to move on to the step four of the freedom series, which is about your relationship with your body. So what happens to your body when you are experiencing the emotions of someone else? Are you having a stress response? Is there anxiety in your body? Um, Does your mood um, become depressed? I'm not going to use depression as a diagnosis. I'm just going to say, you know, Do you have a depressed mood? Is your sleep disrupted? Do you have problems with your gut? Our guts are very telling and and, um, I'm somebody whose stress shows up there. So perhaps your stress is showing up in your gut. Maybe you have a knot in your back. I don't know if you have one of those spots I do from some uh, bulging discs. And if I don't do all my regular movement stuff and sleep and all that self-care and I have uh, a level of stress that stays in my body, boy, that knot uh, just comes back. And so here I am to remind you that something is amiss. Are you having intrusive thoughts of worry um, and future tripping? And are you over planning for someone else I'm talking about? So this is still about what happens to your body when you're experiencing the emotions of someone else. So are you future tripping? Are you over planning? Are you thinking you know what's right for them. Um, all of these would be the same as if something challenging was happening to you directly. All those things that are in your body are coming from your empathy for 
someone else and you experiencing their emotions. It'll take the same toll on us if we allow it. And it can be kind of sneaky um, in the way that it happens because it can happen without us even realizing it, especially if this is your normal state of being, right? If you're an empath that um, not only is carrying your own stuff, but uh, typically carries other people's stuff and is attuned to it, you might be in a constant state of what I just described. Um, trying to manage it, of course, in, in all the ways that we all try to manage our discomforts um, and thinking, well, this is just life. This is what I am. This is who I am. Well, it doesn't have to be. That doesn't have to be life. And you can still be who you are and not be experiencing that much discomfort because there is a way of gaining dominion over it because the empathy is coming from inside of you. It It's coming from you. And if it is about you, the great news about that is that we have dominion over ourselves. Um, if it's coming, something's coming from outside of us, hmm, we can still only change ourselves. But this is actually something that's conditioned and is part of us on an internal level. So we can uh, actually get at it. And when we come back, we'll talk about um, how your food might be impacted as an empath. You're listening to Freedom for Humans, and we will be right back. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Are you tired of overeating, overspending, drinking too much, or being in relationships that drain you? Do you have invasive thoughts that make you feel bad about yourself and your life? Do you keep pushing yourself to the next goal only to find that it doesn't bring you happiness? You don't have to live this way. You can live a life of well-deserved freedom and happiness. Coach Kirsten Johansson is here to guide you. Book your free discovery session today at GiraffeTangoOctopus.com. Tune in to the soul of enterprise, business, and the knowledge economy with co-hosts Ron Baker and Ed Class. Ron and Ed will show you how to recognize that wealth is created by intellectual capital. It's all in the possibilities that we can create and that are created for us. These possibilities are destined to be discovered by human imagination and through the service of others, creating a brighter future for all of us. The Soul of Enterprise is heard live every Friday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. You're listening to Giraffe Tango Octopus, Freedom for Humans. Have your own story or have questions for Kirsten or her guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5788. That's 866-472-5788. Now back to the show. Welcome back to Freedom for Humans. This is Kirsten Johansson, your host. And today we are talking about freedom for empaths and how an empath would work through the Freedom Series, which is my program to realize unconditional self-acceptance. So before the break, I had mentioned that the next step is to just look at what's going on with our food. Um, and so something to ask, how does your concern for and the energy spent on others impact your relationship with food? Does the discomfort from experiencing other people's emotional energy disrupt your relationship food, with food? And by that, I mean, do you overeat? 
undereat? Do you binge? Do you eat food that is not typically far part of your um, food plan, but rather kind of harms your body or upsets your stomach or messes up your blood sugar or makes you feel bad? Um, any of that stuff. Um, and so let's say you're hungry. Okay. So let's take the, the common experience for an empath. You're hungry and you need to eat. It's lunchtime and you have a plan for a nutritious lunch. It's not right at hand. Okay. So you, let's say you didn't pack it, but you know what, you've already planned what you're going to eat and you know where you're going to get it. And you know what time you're going to eat lunch. And it's planned because you're taking care of yourself and you're taking care of your food. And then someone needs something from you. Do you prioritize your lunch and then offer them an alternate time? Or do you agree to meeting them and skip delay or shove something in quickly that does not give you good nutrition? I suspect that that is a pretty common experience for people. Um, and so it doesn't maybe seem like much like, oh, I had this lunch planned and then, you know, somebody needed something. So I went ahead and took care of that. And then I just didn't get to eat my, my nice salad that I planned from that place down the street that I really like. Instead, I, you know, I grabbed a, a bar or, you know, something out of a vending machine or, um, maybe something out of the, the Starbucks case that is in no way as nutritious as, um, you know, some vegetables and protein and some, and a, and a fat, uh, in terms of like a salad dressing or something might not seem like a big deal. Um, but we can only gain dominion over our own thoughts, emotions, actions, and beliefs, and only with consistent practice, holding other people's energy as if there's anything to be done about it can be incredibly stressful and could drive you toward anesthesia using food as an anesthesia, for instance, which might ultimately cause you harm. And in this last example, um, you chose the other person over very basic self-care, literally nutrition going into your body so that you can be present and healthy and fed so that you, you know, when it is time to offer help or support to someone, you can do that from a place of love and compassion for yourself instead of from a place of sacrifice. Um, where you don't even get something nutritious in your belly to eat. Okay. So um, that's just an example of how your food can be impacted. If your empathy is, I'm just going to call it outsized because again, we're not trying to become not an empath. I don't know if that's possible, uh, but we are, what we are trying to do is realize some freedom and manage our empathy in a way that serves us um, and not just other people that ultimately really serves us. Um, okay. So um, after, after we've looked at our food, we want to try to identify our SOS or our source of suffering. So what part does your empath play in your SOS? My experience of life and the way in which I connect with others may be similar to other empaths, but it is not everyone's experience. And that's why empaths are easy marks for energy vampires. We sometimes believe that people experience the world in the same way we do. We often believe that, right? Because we really only truly know our own experience, but there are many, many different ways of interacting and moving through the world. And so I have to keep watch on this 
and moderate my relationships um, with my boundaries so that I am not getting out of balance in my relationships. Um, so simply put, experiencing the emotions and energy of others and being someone who senses and feels a lot of what is going on around you, some of which is not even visible to the naked non-empath eye, is incredibly uncomfortable and it requires substantial energy to manage and moderate. So it's no wonder that we tend to want to reach for anesthesia. So in terms of identifying an SOS, I'm going to come back to one of mine that I just know has um, driven a lot of my uh, various behaviors over the years. So um, one of my sources of suffering is simply a fear of being a disappointment. So when you think about the qualities of an empath and the typical behaviors of an empath, and then you think about that SOS, it would follow that my empathic qualities would be tied up in that. So if I don't do or say something, the right thing to help someone else, um, to solve something, to help them to feel better, to help them feel heard, will they be disappointed? Maybe, maybe they will be. Maybe my worst fear will be realized. And then, you know what my question is? Then what? Last week, I talked about the importance of gaining comfort with discomfort. And that is right where that comes in. Because if I do what's right for me and someone else is disappointed by that, that is not for me to solve. It is for me to weather the discomfort of it though, because I'm an empath and I care. And I also have this sort of core fear um, attached to self-hate that is a fear of being a disappointment. So, you know, I'm going to be I'm going to be watchful and sensitive to which one of those buttons might be pushed because I want to, I want to act, not react. I want to choose what I do, not be drawn into something and then find myself tangled up and upset and suffering and have to extricate myself. Yes, I can do that, but I would rather practice in such a way that I keep myself from being pulled in to that old pattern. Um, so, um, try to identify where your suffering, where your source of suffering might be, um, tied to your, uh, nature of being an empath and then disrupt the anesthesia behaviors that you use to manage your source of suffering. Uh, in order to do that, what, just ask yourself some questions. What anesthesia are you using and what is its impact on you? And is it creating its own suffering? Is it keeping you from understanding, healing, or changing something that could bring you long-term relief instead of this temporary numbing? And whatever it, it might be, um, it might be accompanied by thoughts that you deserve it, that it's one of the only things you do that's purely for you. So maybe it's not food. Maybe it's, you know, maybe you're shopping, maybe you're online shopping and there's a voice that says, what are you doing? Are you really, is this helping you? Are you just, are you hiding in this? Is this anesthesia? And then the other voice comes and says, you deserve it. Look at everything you did this week. It's the only thing that you do that's purely for you. That is a totally natural thing to have happen to kind of protect that anesthesia because it is giving you some numbing, which helps temporarily. 
Um, it may be something you do when you're alone. Being alone is important for empaths because we take in so much of the stimuli that we experience when we're out in the world and around other people that being alone is an essential refuge. So use your solitude to its best advantage. Use it to replenish your energy and to get your physical, emotional, psychological, and spiritual needs met. Um, if you're stuck in an anesthesia pattern, try disrupting it by going out into nature. Um, so as um, I mentioned in the beginning, when I went over those sort of standard uh, em empath qualities, um, we are soothed and replenished by, by being out in nature and particularly by green wild things and water. And so if you have a kind of a sticky pattern, you can disrupt it potentially by taking yourself out into nature around green things, water, and then keep disrupting it until the anesthesia pattern and that temporary numbing um, has been broken until um, the pattern has been broken and you can now see it for what it is. You can see it as, as ineffective and then tell the truth about it. So when the urge arises on a challenging day and you think, well, maybe I'm just going to um, get on whatever your favorite, I'm just going to use this, the real, real, maybe I'm going to get on the real, real and just really do a deep dive for some deeply discounted designer duds. And that's going to make me feel better before you do that. Try something else uh, and, and see what the difference is in terms of how you feel um, after you've tried that different thing and broken that particular pattern. Um, the next thing that we do after we've disrupted, we've shined a light on and started to disrupt the anesthesia behaviors um, is we release our resentments. And so I've talked a lot about that. Um, what I'm going to say about resentments and empaths is that it would be natural for empaths to carry resentments. We spend so much energy on others through our thoughts, our feelings and actions that we are easily disappointed in the lack of reciprocity and what we may perceive <laughs> as the squandering of our precious love and support and all the input that we might have given. And we might end up wondering why we're not valued or treated with more respect or not supported in the way that we support someone else. So one of the things that's important to remember, if you are in a resentment, you're having, you're having resentment. And some of the things that I just said are ringing true for you in terms of the thoughts that you have. Remember what I mentioned earlier, which is that the way that we experience the world and life and relationships is unique to us. And we often inaccurately put our experience onto another person and think that they're receiving everything that we're giving that they see us in the way that we think we are seen, that they appreciate what we are contributing, that they see what we are contributing as valuable, that they see that what we are doing and saying and the time that we're spending and the support that we're offering, you know, we believe usually that the, that we are showing them tremendous 
love. And then when we don't get that back, or when the person treats us maybe in a way that's painful, or even tells us, you know, I don't really want to be with you anymore, or I don't want to really be friends with it with you anymore, or or whatever is going on and whatever type of relationship it is, we're gobsmacked because we think, well, wait, what about everything that I, and what about all that I, and what about the, and how can you not see? Those are the things that fuel resentment because what we do is we tell a story about ourselves based on the other person's decision or choice. We make it personal. We make it about us. And ultimately what it tends to reflect is that we probably overspent. If we're left with resentment and we're left thinking, well, God, if I would have known it was going to turn out like this, I wouldn't have done all that. That's, that is really, that should be a a warning signal to you when you think, well, if I knew it, what, like, if I knew that the relationship was going to be over, I never would have done X, Y, Z. That to me is an indication that you overspent in the relationship. Whatever you spend in the relationship, whether it's a friendship, an intimate partnership, a, a familial relationship, a professional relationship should be on balance with you. And so when, when I talked earlier about centering yourself and taking care of your own needs first and shoring yourself up and then giving from your excess, what you have left to offer another person or another group, if we're talking about a, a professional situation, uh, potentially, um, then that, that should happen regardless of, of whether the relationship continues or ends that that would be a natural way of being in in relationship and of doing that in a way that's balanced where you have some distinct uh, boundaries which i am going to mention next and generally speaking this is why when you're tangling with a resentment it's so important to understand your part and to remember that the resentment belongs to you that you own it that it's not actually about the other person's situation or group of people, that it's about you re-experiencing a wound of some kind. And that typically you have some part in it, which is making it um, even more sticky. And if you identify your part, it helps you to forgive yourself, which is, um, in my experience, absolutely crucial to clearing a resentment. So forgiving yourself and then clearing it and also understanding it so that it helps you to avoid a similar situation in the future. Um, So release your resentments and just know that as an empath, it is very likely that you have some um, because of all that you have given and all of the energy that you have put toward others and your relationships. All right. Learning to set healthy boundaries is next. So these will be new to you and new to the people in your life. It will help to explain that you're freeing yourself from some unhelpful patterns and that they may notice a difference in you. They also may um, want you back the way you were. So reinvigorate your commitment to yourself as you set your new boundaries, because um, 
sometimes people, uh, they are uncomfortable for other people, just as they're going to be uncomfortable for you. And so prepare to be uncomfortable and to gain comfort with discomfort. It will take consistent practice over time to set boundaries that are healthy for you and then to hold and take appropriate action for yourself when those are tested or breached. And so um, I spoke to Meadow DeVore about this and she covers it, I think, particularly in The Worthy Mind, um, her second book that is a follow-up to The Worthy Project. And that is, um, so center yourself, which is my true north. So first center yourself, Um, set the boundary, which is about what you will or will not do. It's your boundary. It's not about telling somebody else what they must or must not do. It's about what you will or will not do. And then that's it. You set the boundary and then you wait and you watch and you take in the information. And if um, the person is, is struggling with that boundary and is pressing it and trying to breach it, that's, that's important information. And so you then hold the boundary and also move away, which can mean physically moving away, or it can mean distancing yourself because what you're, you know, emotionally as well as physically, because what you're seeing is you've set an important boundary and the other person for reasons that honestly, you don't really need to understand at this point, they're not respecting it. So you just keep doing that, hold the boundary, you take in information and then you move away um, if necessary. Um, Okay. So um, once you have started to practice those boundaries and you've worked through these first nine steps that I've just gone through very quickly, I'm condensing this into today's show you're going to assess your relationships. And at this point in your freedom project, you have likely already begun to assess your relationships. Even if you're unaware of it, it may be happening naturally as certain areas of the status quo that you tolerated or accepted are no longer desirable to you. Um, Maybe you are the one that always reaches out and you feel drained after um, an interaction that you have with, with a certain person or people. And the thought of doing it now it feels like a chore because you're, you're caring for your own energy. You're caring for yourself. You're centering yourself and not what you believe the other person wants. So now you, you don't really want to do this chore. So you don't, and you weather the discomfort of that choice and perhaps breathe a sigh of relief that your choice now aligns with your truth. And just know that there's room for both that you can be relieved and aligned with your own truth and very uncomfortable all at the same time. Some relationships will not survive the change in you. It might be sad and confusing and cause you to question yourself, but rest assured that if you center yourself with love, respect, compassion, and honesty, and you stay in the flow of the world, don't hide away, stay in the flow of the world. You will connect with others. It may just be a new way of connecting with new people. So put yourself out there, talk to strangers. Everyone is a stranger before they're a friend. Um, and you just never know. You never know what life is going to bring you when you play big and put yourself in the mix. Um, so next we're going to evaluate our, our career, our job, our professional plans and our role or our, our empath qualities and ask ourselves, okay, well, how, how's it going in this area? Now, if you're in leadership um, or you, you are in a position where others come to you for support or mentoring, 
you might be, uh, you might be struggling with some burnout or you might see others struggling with some burnout. I certainly experienced that, um, in my years in leadership and toward the end, I developed an approach for myself and I shared it with a few people that I was working with. Cause I just, I could see the energy being drained out of many of us. And it's pretty simple. I just listened, uh, listened. So somebody brings you a, a problem, um, or something that they're um, trying to work through. I listened and reflected uh, to make sure that I understood. And then I asked, what's the next right step for you? And then I be quiet and allow them to figure that out for themselves. And then I asked what would feel like support. And again, I was quiet and waited for them to figure out what that might be. And then because it's a work setting, you might also do this in a personal setting. If you use this, you set a date to check back in. So listen and reflect. What's the next right step for you? What would feel like support? When would you like to check back in? And then don't take it with you. Let the issue remain with the person. We have to all carry our own ball. And if you imagine your ball as a medicine ball, like those big heavy balls that people work out with in the gym, do you really want more than one? I don't. Um, So that's an example um, of something to do in a work setting. I would just say that um, the centering of self and the shoring up of one's own physical, emotional, psychological, and spiritual needs creates clarity in decisions regarding your employment and also allows you to conduct yourself at work in a way that's healthy for you and for those around you. Because remember that solving things for other people, that taking on someone else's accountability that carrying the emotions and the experience of other people is going to drain you and is not ultimately going to be helpful to them either. So um, that's when empathy becomes outsized uh, and becomes kind of a downside, but we can very easily manage it and shift it back to the ups. Lastly, we want to have daily practices that support the changes that we've made. So as you have centered yourself and looked at how you being an empath has impacted these areas of your life, and you've begun to shift and act differently and set boundaries and experience your relationships in a new way, it's going to be hard to go back. I'll say from my experience, because you're going to, you're going to, this is going to be a much lighter feeling life, a much freer feeling life. Um, but here's a few things I want to zip through these things. They're very practical and things I've picked up from a variety of places, um, that help with my daily practices and, and specifically, uh, for living as an empath. So first sleep, food, moving your body and replenishing solitude. So those four core things and avoiding anesthesia behaviors that are harmful to you and outsized. So by saying replenishing solitude, I'm suggesting you avoid um, those things that tend to be harmful to you. The second practice is to, to it comes from Redesign Your Mind by, by Eric Maisel. And um, it is to create a room that in your mind that is a representation of your mind that you can make a peaceful place for you to go and be where you can shoo out things and thoughts that are intrusive that you don't want in there. So I love that book. Um, I highly recommend it. And so create a room that is your mind. Um, You can use a worry journal 
Um, and that came from Stellar Sleep, the app that I'm using for my insomnia. And that um, I prefer at the end of the day. And you just just real quick jot some things down that are kind of worrying you or bugging you or uh, creating anxiety about the next day. And once you write them down, hmm, I don't know how, what your experience will be, but mine's kind of like, huh, okay, well, that's not such a big deal. Um, and so use a little worry journal before you go to sleep. Use a gratitude journal when you wake up, because again, as an empath, you could wake up and immediately start worrying about a situation, a person, what they're going through, how they're going to react, this conversation that you have to have with them. How are they going to feel? How are you going to manage through them having feelings? That's why I'm suggesting these things um, to pull yourself back to yourself. Okay. So jot your worries down jot your gratitudes, a da- write down a daily value statement. And this came from the Sarah McCrum book, um, love money, money loves you. And basically you just write down one thing about yourself every day that you value can be anything big or small, write it down, keep a running list for a year and read the list every single day as you're making it. So yes, eventually you're going to have 365 things to read through that remind you of your value um, and really bring it to the forefront. Um, Notice your empathy and manage it to your advantage. So know that you're an empath if you are. See how it shows up in your life and then use it. Use it for good and center yourself first so that you do good for yourself and then you can give good to others from the excess. When you are caring for yourself properly, you're able to empathize in a natural and constructive way that is not outsized. And that reflects a balance and connection to your true North and your true self, which in this case is center yourself. All right. That's all we have time for today. I hope that you have heard something that is of some help to you. You can find me at giraffetangooctopus.com and across social media at GTO coaching Uh, Get in touch if you are interested in the Freedom Series. And until next week, love yourself, free yourself, be yourself, and dance your own tango. Thanks for listening to today's episode. We hope we have helped you learn to love yourself unconditionally and accept and celebrate everything that makes you, you. Tune in next Wednesday for another episode. And in the meantime... Dance your own tango.